Welcome to Somebody You Love or The Sale of Two Titties. I'm Jenna Love. And I'm Holly Hart. And we're experts in disappointing our parents, breaching community guidelines and banging the people who vote against our rights. Hello everyone, I'm Jenna and I am on Darug and Gundungurra land. Holly is on Ngunnawal land and we have Charlie calling in today from the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We recognise the continuing connection of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders to the land and waters across this beautiful place. We pay our respects to Elders past and present and we extend that respect to any First Nations people who may be listening. It's important for us to make it clear that anyone who appears on the podcast can only speak from their own experience. All of us on the show today are cis white women and we acknowledge the privilege that comes with that both within the sex industry and outside of it. As usual, because this podcast is about the adult industry, it really isn't suitable for those who are not adults. Uh, Just a warning also that during Shit People Say, we talk about Nazism, which is really not something that I was expecting to come up on the show, but that is the world that we live in. Today we have Charlie Swinton on the show. Charlie is a full-service sex worker by night and mum of two by day. Known as Milfy, she is based in Melbourne, but when not in lockdown, she tours the country as well. Hi, Charlie. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Hey, guys. So good to be here. Fabulous. We're very excited to have you here. You're our second guest. We're starting to maybe know what it's like to have guests on. Oh, I'm fangirling (laughs) because I've been listening to you since your first episode. Amazing work. Oh, fabulous. Thank you so much. (laughs) So we've got a bunch of questions for you, things that Holly and I were thinking about that we wanted to ask you about. And we've also got uh, quite a few questions actually from our patrons. So we'll start off with our questions. Lovely. Shoot. Okay, so can you tell us how you got into the industry? Ah, the creation myth, Charlie style. Yes. (laughs) Um, Look, I am an accidental sex worker and a very late starter. I I, I had a marriage breakdown and started to sort of look around at what a, a lady with children who's a little older might do in her love life and was hooking up with a few people and... I don't know, I started rejecting people because that's what you do and they started offering me money and um, I thought that's ridiculous. Who would want to pay money to have sex with me? But then one day, you know, single mum and, and all that, I, I thought, oh, well, maybe I could give that a go. And it, it wasn't, he was a lovely guy who made that first offer. It, it just wasn't my type. So I went and I gave it a go and it turned out I really loved it. The guy was obviously on the spectrum and didn't have a lot of social contact and stuff and I made him so happy and I walked out of that appointment with $300 and that was enough to put petrol in my car, buy all my groceries, you know, and pay a bill that was desperately needing payment. And so from there I just sort of went, oh, I don't know, how do I do this? And I put an ad on Craigslist right before they shut it down. (laughs) And I was just inundated with queries and it sort of all went on from there. Pretty cool. So it sparked a fire, this initial, you know, sort of wading into it and you went, this is something I can definitely commit to. Well, it turned out I was one of those girls that that grew up with that fairy tale, you know, that I was going to find the perfect man and it was all going to be gorgeous and we were going to be, you know, (laughs) going to be uh, together forever and everything was going to be fine. Holly still has that fairy tale. (laughs) Yeah, my dream is to be a wife. Like that is my my life goal is to be someone's wife. It can, but for a lot of people I think um, 
it's a big lie. And and mm. when you when you find yourself sort of at the end of, of what you thought was going to last forever, you have to really dig deep to sort of find a new way of being in the world and, and all that. And I have a few personal kind of circumstances that mean that this work works really well for me, which meant that when I did accidentally fall into it, I just found that it suited everything I needed. I, I have a, a few little health issues, not major ones, but ones that make it difficult to work full time. Uh, and I have a little fellow who's got autism, so it's really great to be able to be home as often as I can be and still make enough money to support him and his education and his therapy and all the rest of it. So I had no way to do that and this this has saved my family. Oh, that's massive. Do you, I don't know. I'm sorry to ask maybe a really basic question. How long have you been in the industry? Uh, four yeah. and a bit years, not very long, yeah, really. Cool. <laughs> oh, I think you're a veteran. Um, and I know, look, I think... There are some people who are listening who will have a very different experience to me and it's not empowering and it doesn't have to be empowering. But for me, it is. For me, it's lifted me out of a poverty treadmill that I was looking down the barrel of for the rest of my life and has done the same for my children and the next generation of my family. So I'm really conscious that not everyone has that experience, that it can be traumatic for some and everything. But for me, it has saved me. Absolutely. Look, everyone's story is valid and, and needs to be heard. And thank you so much for sharing yeah. so, so honestly. And I, yeah, I think that's, it's really wonderful to hear. I am a heart on sleeve kind of girl. <laughs> yeah, you are. We all and that's are, why I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very true. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Hookers with hearts of gold. So speaking of your kids, you, I mean, you proudly advertise as a MILF. You are Charlie Milfy Swinton. I am. Um, so do you get many clients who are really uh, seeing, like seeking you out because it's that's a fetish, they're looking to do an older woman fantasy or have you had people that are sort of uncomfortable with it? I've had both, um, vastly mm-hmm. more on the, on the pro side of things than the, the con side of things. Um, but there is a bit of a myth about young men wanting MILFs. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. I do have a lot of young clients who love the older woman thing. But the vast majority of people who find Milfy really appealing are dads. Mm. It's dads. That doesn't surprise me at all because I find, you know, a a lot of men want to relate to someone on their own age or, uh, you know, in that sort of age group where they just, they feel safe and connected and that they can relate to, not that they have to. And there's a bit of shared life experience. Yeah. Um, And a lot of people, I I don't know if this might be politically incorrect, but I mean, I do see quite a lot of men that are married. And I don't think they don't Mm. love and want to be with their wives. There are circumstances in everyone's life that I don't know of and I don't judge, but I can see that for a lot of people, I think there's a real wish there that they could have that. And so Milfy can sort of fill a little gap, you know, for that compassionate, wifely type person. Although I can be very naughty and fun too. I'm not a horribly boring wife, (laughs) but yes. Not at all. Um, And often people, younger guys will come (laughs) to see me and they really have a great time and they love the milfy thing, but you can see that for them it's a little bit more confronting. Like it's um, perhaps not the sort of sex they're used to. Older women really know what they want. They don't hesitate in asking for it or saying, no, not like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, whereas a, a, yes. a, a fellow <laughs> I've dilf, been told off by Charlie before. Well, yes. <laughs> have you? You have not. Well, I, you have not. I got, a, little, I got a tiny bit teethy. Oh. No, I got a tiny oh. bit teethy. Oh. oh, I remember that. Yes. Oh. <laughs> it I was all, direct, all very though. amicable. Yeah, no, yeah. she's fantastic. It's great. Oh, yeah. look, my doubles partners do know too that you know if they need if they've got a client that needs bossing, I'm a good choice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very very true. 
So one of our patrons, as a bit of a follow-up to this, one of our patrons um, is a sex worker who is 35 years old and a mom of two kids. And she asked about this sort of question. She said, why did you decide to be open about having kids, about being a MILF on your ads? She asked, does it help to get more bookings and what kind of clients are attractive, which you have kind of answered. She's asking because she's sort of, I think, questioning whether or not she should be open about, about that in her advertising. Look, it's, this comes with a big caveat, of course, that uh, anything I say may or may not work for other people. So uh, I, I am no expert in any way. Um, I also am really cognizant of security issues and things when it comes to family and children in this industry. So you'll find that my children have got a, 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 a moniker, the tiny terrorists, and other than that, no one knows <laughs> anything about them. Um, I have revealed the special needs situation today um but you do need to be very careful about advertising that you have children um because there are people out there that that will target you because of that but so outside of the little disclaimer and warning i decided to own it because i come from a different background i did not come from a sex work background i came from a swinging background (laughs) and the online the online hookups and all the rest of it and in that market milfs are where it's at Ah, okay, interesting. Yeah. Everybody wants to bonk the MILF, right? They're all the unicorns wow. in the older swinging groups are MILFs. This is what it's all about. So oh. I didn't have a, a negative connotation associated with the word. And when I came and joined the sex industry, I saw several other workers in my vague age kind of group who hated the word and actively told people off if they used it, really, really didn't want to be associated with that. And I'm not sure why, um, but when I had positive reactions from clients about that, I just went, oh, bugger it. Okay, MILF. Yes, I am. And someone who I saw regularly for a very long time actually called me MILFy and it stuck. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I've always known you. Yeah, like I mean, and I suppose a lot of people do. You've always been MILFy. I know, I know. But I wasn't. I was just Charlie. I was actually Charlie Girl for a long time uh, because I was oh, an online wow. kind of person for a while. And, yeah, Charlie Girl was my name. <laughs> Older workers, they often enter the industry under this impression that they won't do as well as young whippersnappers because, you know, it doesn't matter how pretty you are, your body does age and uh, as you, you know, head into your late 30s and and. 40 around the corner you don't look the same as everyone else but it's not true and I, I thought that too I thought I wasn't going to be able to really make a go of it I just I'd see how it went but I didn't have a lot of hope and it turns out there's a massive market for mature workers perhaps even more so than some of the other segments not the really young ones the 18 to 22 year olds or the 20 to 24 year olds whatever it is always do really really well but there is something that comes once you hit a certain age or a certain level of maturity. I don't think there's a number attached to it necessarily. Your dates or your, your bookings change and people, mm. I don't know, there's a, a real personal kind of care element to the whole thing as well as the sexy, nasty, you know, spank my ass like a drum <laughs> stuff. So um, <laughs> it's, it's it, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that older workers often feel like they're coming to the end of things and it's not necessarily the case. You can be just as successful with kids, without kids, old, young, that there is a way to make it work. you just got to be a bit creative about it. And embrace who you are. Milfi has done me great service. And one day I will graduate and become a cougar of some sort with a new name and, you know, a new approach and 
That'll be just fine too. Maybe one day you'll be G Milfy. Gilfy, yeah. Oh yeah, Gilfy. You know? Gilfy. Yeah, I did. I have. I have a few jokes about the Gilfy thing, but I don't think I'm going to be Gilfy. I You're don't think that yet. that's going to appeal in quite the same way. But a Mrs. <laughs> Robinson not. kind of character, not that name, uh-huh. but you know, something yep. like that. I think that might work for the next stage. Cute. I look forward to uh, the new Charlie, the next stage of Charlie. I have my last name already. You want to know what my last name will be? Do you? You've actually got, okay. So I don't know, you guys are a little bit younger than me, but the person who played Mrs. Robinson in the graduate movie was Anne Bancroft and she was hot and older. And so I'm going to be something Bancroft with a G. I love that. That's a Bancroft. (laughs) That's fantastic. So I am putting that out there. It's mine. Keep your hands off it. (laughs) That's fantastic. Cute. So here is another really typical question for a MILF. What do your kids think that you do and do you have a plan to tell them about the work as they get older? So I am out to everyone in my circles, my friends and my family. The only people that don't know are my children and my grandmother, who's 94, and let's not upset 94-year-old Nana. (laughs) No, she doesn't need that. (laughs) There's no need at this stage to tell her. But As far as my kids go, uh, I tell them I'm an event manager and I do hospitality work because it it helps me cover the nighttime type nature of my work or the interstate travel that I need to do. Um, And it actually does align a little bit vaguely with what I used to do. Um, I've got a corporate background. I've had a couple of careers. Now, this is my third one and by far and away the best. (laughs) Um, I don't have a plan to tell them. I am going to play that as it comes. But we have a lot of open conversations in our house about sex in age-appropriate ways, obviously. My oldest is just now getting to an age where these sorts of things are very interesting. Um, He read something in the newspaper a little while ago or online, how old am I, uh, about (laughs) about a stripper. And that led to a conversation about how it was just a job. And it was no big deal, really. And, you know, he was he was quite open to that way of thinking of things. So generally, my plan is to educate them really well in a, in a sexually positive way, uh, in, a, in a feminist kind of way, so that when they do come to the point where they either find out or I feel comfortable telling them, the ground's sort of been prepped a little bit so that the, 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 the reception won't be too bad. The other thing to say is that my mother was a sex worker. And, and, and I wow. was, I know, right. Um, and I didn't know that growing up. I had no idea. Uh, she didn't do it throughout my whole childhood when I was quite young, but she told me about it when I How was. How did a, you find out? So she sat me down and told me about it when I was about 19 and I didn't react well to the idea of my mother having sex at all. <laughs> of course. But I didn't yeah. think less of her because it was work. I I didn't want to talk to her about it any further after she told me about it, and I never really did until I became a sex worker. But I didn't think less of her. I didn't lose respect for her, and I'm hoping that I'll have the same experience with my kids. Can I ask what what her reaction was and how that conversation went down between the two of you when you told her about your your career? Yeah, well, look, I mean... When my mum worked in this industry, obviously things were really different. Um, Yellow Pages was the go-to and (laughs) my mum worked for an agency. But again, I think in her day, the arrangements with agencies and that were quite different too. So it was reliable for her and she was paid well and she was sent to safe places. That was her experience, not suggesting that's everyone's experience. So when I talked to her about it, she was quite worried that I would have someone else in control of who I saw and and that sort of stuff. And once she came to the realisation that I was thoroughly independent and treating it as a proper business, 
as I would have done with any other work I might have taken on, um, she was really supportive, really supportive. And I, I did at one stage sit her down and said, Mum, I think this is actually like a calling. I'm really good at this. I, 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 not just at making the money, I'm actually making people's lives better and I feel like I'm doing something useful in the world. And from that point onwards, she's just been really, really supportive. My brothers had a little bit of ew kind of reaction um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I'm a lot older than they are and I was sort of like a second mum. And they're brothers, you know, you're their sister. Yeah. I think that's that's. And they've always been very protective and, and all that sort of stuff. But they have not in any way shunned me or suggested that I should, you know, do something different. Uh, they've been concerned for my safety and they've been concerned not to be told any details about my sex life in any way whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> As it should be. Yeah. <laughs> So so you've said that you are out to everyone except for your kids and your grandma. Yeah. So how does that go in terms of like school mums? Are you afraid of the other mums finding out? So obviously, yes, not being out to my kids means that I'm not out to the communities that they're in either. My kids go to a religious school, so there is a little bit of concern about what would happen if they find out, although I've accepted the inevitability of that happening at some point. I'm mostly facing, but there is enough face out stuff of me that it could possibly be picked up by a friend at school in high school once we're there and as I said my plan is to just deal with it as it comes I just I try to be honest and open about these things and I'm just hoping it will get me through sounds like as good a plan as any to me I mean you can't you can't really plan for it well I mean you know you you cannot um, have preconceptions about other people's reactions to things Uh, my very brief jaunt into the world of swerfs has taught me that there is some nastiness mm. out there waiting for me but there's no point worrying it because i can't uh, worrying about it because i can't control it yeah oh, spoken like a true mum <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure my mum's given me that advice before much easier to give it out instead to um yeah. adhere to it tell you what <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you are someone who does tour. Mm. How do you deal with that with the kids and how do they handle it when you're away for a while? I have a lot of support. Um, the kid's father is uh, fully aware of what I do and really supportive. And when I'm away, they're with him. So I'm lucky that, that we have a good relationship that way. Um, my mother and my mother-in-law are also both really supportive. Oh, my mother-in-law doesn't know what I do either. There we go. Oh. <laughs> so uh, they, they all step in to take care of the childcare stuff. My littlest one when I come home is always very emotional and clingy, so I do yeah. try to limit the amount of touring I do. Probably people haven't noticed, but I tend to do it in blocks, so I'll do two or three tours in a row with a couple of weeks in between, and then I won't tour for several months, and then I do that again, and, I, and that was my, my rhythm. Although, obviously, at the moment, I mean, I have cancelled seven tours running. <laughs> um, I'm not going anywhere, and my kids are very happy. <laughs> I have to say, like, I have uh, met up with you while you were on tour and I have to say that uh, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, there's an element of uh, perhaps freedom that comes with your time spent away from the home, am I? <laughs> Absolutely. Look, yes, it is different for um, someone who is a mum and, and, and having to do all the housework and the cooking and the, 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 you know, running children around and stuff in normal life. So when you do go away, it is a bit like a holiday in a way. So there's a work element, obviously. And when I'm touring and away from my children, I feel like I should be making the most of that time financially. But I'm away and I can sleep in and I don't have to cook. And, you know, lovely men show up and want to spend nice times with me and bring me presents. And yeah, it it is a bit of a fairy tale kind of existence. But you have to be really careful because it's so easy to get lost in that fantasy world and and I have to come back to earth because there are people waiting for me 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and as you said, there there is always that overarching pressure of I'm here to make money. So that's what, I mean, that's yes, you've got to do that because of those people who you who when you come back who are depending on you. Yeah, look, and so, because yeah. time away from home is difficult given the circumstances at home with my kids. There 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 are special arrangements we need to have in place and things. I really hold myself to that. So you'll very rarely find Charlie on tour going sightseeing or anything. That's not what it's about. Of course. Uh, so obviously lockdowns are difficult for uh, most people. Um, all of us here on the call are, are stuck in our respective states. But I can imagine that the combination of not being able to do your job and everything that comes with that and having to suddenly pivot to becoming essentially a homeschool teacher, that sounds like expert level lockdowning to me. So how has COVID been for, you, for your family? And I guess hopefully have there been any positives that have come out of it? Yeah, look, lockdowns are hard. I think they're hard whether you've got kids or not, just in different ways. For us, yes, uh, I've become homeschool extraordinaire person. It is really, really becoming a slog. I think at first there was a great novelty in it. Um, we all enjoyed having extra time together and we did lovely things and I sort of thought to myself, oh, this is okay. My kids will grow up and they'll look back and they'll remember this time and we'll be a close family and all that sort of stuff. But as it's dragged on the impact on them emotionally and, and things has become really severe, as it would be if we unlocked and everyone got sick. I'm not, I'm not advocating either way, but I can see what's happening to them and I can't stop it and it's quite difficult to, to live with, really. Uh, it, no matter how many you know dog walks and, and treats and movie nights and things I do, I can't stop what's happening. Um, and it's a little bit heartbreaking. Uh, and then on top of that, yes, you've got financial problems. Like a lot of workers, I'm not eligible for several different sorts of support, so I found myself in a bit of a limbo position, and it's only with the very, very lovely support of clients that I'm actually still able to have a house to live in and food on my table. So this lockdown in particular has been the hardest one, and I will not make any secret of the fact that I'm not coping all that well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I am. The daily stuff is happening, um, but the, 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 the emotional trauma of it is, is starting to really add up. What, what number is this for you guys? Number six. Uh, but we yeah. have had four, five and six back to back with only a few weeks in between. Yeah. Uh, and I am a good little saver. And number, number two was very long as well. Number two was huge, right? And then we got out of yeah. number two and we cruised along. It was okay. There were a few little shorter, sharper ones or, you know, some restrictions brought in. All of that was okay, although work dies off every time there is a short, sharp lockdown for about a month to six weeks afterwards. It takes a little while for it all to come back. Um, and then because we had these ones back to back and one of our unlocking periods was also over the school holidays, which is always a quiet time in our industry for everyone, I think, no matter how good you are at saving, it's just not enough time to rekindle that little nest egg that you need. So it's just, yeah, it is, it is, got, is getting harder and harder and harder and I'm in Melbourne, I think most people know that, but Victoria is looking oh, less and less like they're going to come out anytime soon. And yeah, look, it's just heartbreaking, but not just for workers, it's heartbreaking for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for, for sharing. As you said, it's tough for everyone. It but really it's, is. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it's helpful to hear others' experiences in, in some way. I know Holly and I chat a lot about uh, how we're coping or, or not coping as the days go. And the one tiny thing is uh, that helps me is knowing that other people feel the same way and that it's not, you know. She loves to know that I feel coping. awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's because she's in New South Wales, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm teasing but it, you, it, Jenna. It's somewhat comforting. I know it's somewhat comforting to know that that it's the situation, not myself. If if that makes yeah, sense. That's right. And look, I think that yeah. uh, the the country is full of very angry and unhappy, severely stressed people for very good reason, and it's really difficult not to blame people for it. And there are some people that deserve blame, I know, um, but it generally, this is a pandemic. It's a naturally occurring phenomena that is ruining our lives and there's no one really to blame. I mean, no, perf- no one person has a perfect answer mm. for what this is or how we get out of it, and it's just awful. And I was thinking our generation just isn't used to this level of suffering and, and you know, fiscal bumfucking. Yeah. Fiscal <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> not um but I, I look back like I think about my grandmother who is still kicking as I mentioned earlier and she lived through the depression the war a polio epidemic a flu epidemic for her children as a mother yeah. all that sort of stuff and it's not it was something that they came to accept that death ups and downs financial ruin all of those things are part of life and our generation is not used to that we are used to I'm making these plans this is what my life's going to look like I shall now execute the plan here is my life. That's not the way the world really works. And I think it's been really hard to come to terms with that. Yes. I think you're right. Shit's been pretty good for us, you know? Look, I th- look, it might be in the long term and it's probably really good for our kids in the long term, not right this moment, because they will be able to deal with whatever life throws at them. And I have a feeling life has a few things left to throw. Yeah, look, things things don't seem to be on the upward slant oh, yeah. at the moment the world they? the climate change is on its way i mean it's that's what good. i was thinking yeah exactly yeah. yeah do you miss the free and affordable ads and social networks without all of the anti-sex rhetoric assembly 4 is a team of sex workers and technologists from melbourne australia aiming to bring back free and fair advertising and social spaces to the sex working community Stepping away from the clunky design of traditional platforms, their two products, Trist.link and Switter.at, are refreshing and well-needed changes in both presentation and mission. And both are free to join and open to all. You can find both of our profiles on Trist, and I love how it is so clearly designed by sex workers. Yep, and I love how straightforward and easy it is to use and how much they clearly support the sex working community. And also how responsive they are when it comes to feedback and customer service. Check out their website, assembly4.com, for the word, not the number, for more info. We have some wonderful patron questions this week with some really insightful and possibly challenging questions. So, uh, And also some silly ones. Ah. And a few fun ones, yeah. Okay. Uh, we have our first question. I know you advertise on multiple platforms. How do you think that expectations vary depending on the platform through which the client approaches you? What I would say is that there are genuine and beautiful clients hiding in all of the different mediums where I advertise, which includes directories and things and also Twitter. The difference is in the volume of crap you have to wade through to find them. <laughs> so there's that. If you were to look at it from the other perspective, You've got your quotation marks, high-end quotation marks, directories. I think those clients are expecting, you know, a certain level of professionalism and if they don't get that, they're not happy. Whereas some of the other sites that are a little more casual, they're approaching it with a more casual attitude overall usually, although that said, there are exceptions. Um, You know, some of my biggest spending clients have come from places you might not 
have thought to find them, like uh, escorts and babes or something. But I did have to wade through a whole lot of, you know, a babe, you available stuff to find them. <laughs> yeah, look, there are cer- there are certain websites that are sort of known as uh, you know that if you advertise on there, you are going to have to wade through a bunch of time wasters, yes. trolls, etc. Right. And I think that to make the most of those sorts of environments, you have to have a um, an approach or a demeanour that means that they're not going to make you angry. Uh, so, so I have a rule. I answer all of the queries that I get that have content in them, not necessarily the ones that just say, hey, you're there, or a babe, or whatever. I don't necessarily answer those ones. But even the ones where it's this stilted sentences or they can't spell or whatever or they're maybe even a tiny bit rude I answer all of them and I wait for the response to see whether I'll progress from there or not and if they give me a response that I don't like I don't berate them or tell them off I either just stop answering or I politely say look I'm not interested da 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 wish you luck and off they go I, I think it's really important not to not to lose my cool not because of them but because of me <laughs> Because then I start to get bitter and start to expect my clients to be taking advantage or to be coming from a certain mindset. And a lot of the time they're not. A lot of the time they just don't have any contact with our industry and they don't know how to make an inquiry um, in the way that we want them to. So often, and I'm not talking about hand-holding, but often if you read between the terrible sentence structure, <laughs> there's a lovely person there, you know. Yeah, my my rule is three messages. I think that yeah, right. Yeah. Sometimes giving them a little bit more of an opportunity, maybe their nerves, their initial nerves go away a little bit, or yeah. you know, you can give yeah a bit more space for the the yeah. Real, well, look, I've also found like through. there's a lot of people that maybe they don't like. Uh, so I require deposits for every single person that comes to see me, um, and a lot of people they don't like that. But if I deal with them really politely uh, and explain you know, very clearly that my reasons are because of the risk to me and the risk to my income and that it's not a reflection on me trusting them or not trusting them. It's an act of faith and so that we can start our relationship in a good in a good fashion from both sides. I politely explain that to everybody who objects and most of them I never hear from again, but a lot of them I do. A lot of them will send a query a few weeks later and say, oh, look, I had to think about it. You really do seem genuine. I'd really like to go ahead with the booking. So I think losing your, cra- losing your stuff at people is sort of shooting yourself in the foot, even though it's really frustrating <laughs> to have to keep doing it. Yeah. Um, so, okay, another question about expectations. How have client <laughs> expectations changed over your experience in the industry? My expectation of clients when I started, I had no contact with sex work either and I had the same stigmatising perceptions of clients as everyone else. I thought, who am I going to meet? Who are these weirdos and creeps and da-da-da-da-da? And then I met them and it turns out they're actually really lovely, normal people with normal lives who have, you know, good jobs, bad jobs, in-between jobs, who have manners, no manners, in-between manners. it's, It's the full gamut. And so I actually had my faith restored somewhat in men by becoming a sex worker, not because of the idiots on the phone who say nasty things, but because almost everyone who appears in my room or who I go to visit is lovely. And it may not be my version of lovely. Everyone is trying their best from where they are coming from. So their version of being nice to someone might be offering you a glass of water, right? That's lovely. They're trying to make you feel comfortable. Someone else's version is giving you a bottle of, you know, $500 champagne. But whichever one it is, as long as they're making some effort to to create a level of comfort for the two of you, then that's pretty cool. 
And um, I had lost a little bit of faith because of the relationship stuff and everything before I came. And this has been restoring. What is your favourite type and or length of booking? Well, you know, we're here to make money. I love all the bookings. Um, <laughs> but uh, that said, I, I love a dinner date, obviously, not just because it's a longer booking, but because it's so nice to sit and have the anticipation build and have a little glass of wine and a bit of banter. I'm reasonably good at talking to all sorts of different people. I have dinner dates in pubs and in like takeaway fish and chips on the beach or in a fancy restaurant or a hotel. It doesn't really matter to me where we are. It's spending that little bit of time to get to know each other just a little bit and like each other because liking each other leads to really awesome sex. Outside of the dinner date, my favourite is two hours. I like to have you come see me. I've got 15 minutes or so to sit have a drink with you or talk to you or whatever, throw you in the shower, get you in bed. There's time to have more than one go. There's time to have a little chat in between sessions. And when you leave, I feel like I actually know someone. I got to got to know someone again. Whereas the one hour one, I do love, but it is much more functional. It is quite, like an hour does go by quite quickly. It really does. It? And I, I'm happy to do more than one go in an hour. That's not a problem for me. But there's not a lot of talking, which is fine. Um, but it does mean I don't know much about you. And, I've, you know, you've been inside me and I don't know anything about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is a weird feeling. I think you were one of the first sex workers I saw, in, in my sort of circles at least, that was offering, started offering Netflix and chill packages i wasn't the first um i do remember that i got the idea from somewhere else but yes it was early on (laughs) and they're really popular really really popular because the social elements spent in the room too i think some workers struggle to know how to structure that price wise and and behavior wise and all the rest of it i'm a bit casual about my approach to some things and not others so in netflix and chill i don't mind if we sit on the couch and have a bit of a smooch you know but the, the actual business end of things doesn't start till after the Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cool. I've I've never done that sort of booking myself. Um and I know Holly does offer them too. So I find it interesting. I think I'd enjoy it. I but I split mine. I, I can't I don't really like to do Netflix and chill. I don't like to mix it because I, I that's that whole thing about you either book a session with me for sex yep. and that's a four hour booking of full priced, you know, or yep. you book the snuggle session because otherwise I feel like people take advantage. And like you said, it's really about being able to assert your own boundaries and where Absolutely. your boundaries are. But for me, I feel like people who would usually book four hours and pay the full price will book the Netflix and chill and then just push boundaries the whole Netflix time. So I prefer to delineate those really clearly and say you either book – if you're going to have sex with me in the booking, we need to do like a proper booking. And if you want to just snuggle on the couch and have no sex, then we do that. So i really strict on – on that so yeah yeah look and I don't I don't blame you for that I I I know that some people do try to take advantage if you give an inch and all that you know um yeah I'm very clear with people that the first half of the booking if they book that will be social time um I I keep my clothes on during the social time so there's you know limited amounts of access that they have anyway (laughs) that's why I can't I can't keep my clothes on well this This is is a problem yeah I can't control myself yeah (laughs) I don't know if I'm as worried about them but I will reveal a very large secret for you, if you like. Ooh. Yeah. For three years, I think, I've had my Netflix and chill package in play and I have watched Netflix twice. Yeah. Oh. Twice in all of that time. Um, people just want to sit and chat and they're looking yeah. for a yeah. booking structure where there's some time before the business end of things 
to have some, you know, nice banter. And look, I have a sense of humor. I'm good at making people laugh and feel comfortable. And I think it really helps them. Yeah. So it's an indoors social day. Exactly. And I have the Netflix and chill. And I also do a shorter version, which is just drinks and dessert, um, which we can do in a bar or we can do in the room. Doesn't matter to me. Um, And it really seems to help people feel at ease, especially newbies um, or people coming out of relationships, because coming out of a relationship to have sex with new people is really overwhelming really overwhelming i mean even even cuddling someone they feel the wrong size and shape and stuff it takes ages to get used to and i i I, i'm very happy to provide some nice space for that our next patron question uh they said if you happen to ask this it'll be interesting to see if she gives the correct answer no so no pressure right but who is your favorite member of monty python oh the correct answer i see so (laughs) Someone my dad's age has asked the question. <clears throat> <laughs> I don't think they are, actually. No, oh, no. Oh, excuse me, I'm no. very sorry. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> Look, John Cleese is my favourite, um, but that's not the correct answer and I'm aware of that. <laughs> Why is that not correct? I don't correct? know what any of this means. So John yeah, Cleese is an absolute like an asshole of a person. Uh, yeah. Um, but but he is funny. an amazing comedian and performer <laughs> yes. and, and has a lot of redemptive qualities in the way he views the world and things. I think Michael Palin is supposed to be the correct answer because he's supposed to be the most talented one who writes most of the good songs and stuff. Well, I don't know who any of those people are, so I oh have the incorrect gosh. answer. I cannot stand Monty Python. I'm sorry. That's okay. John- I've just lost a bunch of clients, haven't I? <laughs> no, they'll forgive you. They'll, 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 as long as, you know, there's always the goons. The what? Nope. The Goon Show. It's. I'm just throwing a bit of marketing in. Don't worry. Yeah, okay. <laughs> the Goon Show okay. was before Monty Python and inspired Monty Python oh, wow. to do all its work. Oh, wow. Mm. So I would probably also hate that too. Most likely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like back Dudley Moore kind of time, like way back. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. What is the best restaurant in Melbourne? I have no answer for this question. I had a look. What's um, your favourite there's a couple of really great restaurants in Melbourne. Obviously, we're renowned for our amazing dining. I love one that a client introduced introduced me to called Cesar, which is an Armenian restaurant. It's so beautiful. It's just you can dial, dine banquet style or you can do the a la carte thing. But the banquet style is the way to go because then you can try a little bit of everything. And it's this really strange blend. I'd never tried Armenian food before. And it's a, yeah, I don't think I have. No, it's a great blend of like European, Southern European and Middle Eastern food. And it's just like, it's stunning. So you can have zucchini flowers stuffed with cheese and also have hummus yeah. and, and, and Oh, dips it sounds and, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's really yeah. good. Or, you know, rice with yeah. currants and things in it, but also roasted lamb shoulder. Or, like, it's, it's a strange combination and it's really yum. Um, the best, mm. best, best, best steak in Melbourne is at Pascal, which is the part of the QT Hotel. Um, their restaurant is amazing. Service is amazing. And then, like, for, like, casual sort of dining, I really love the Waiters Club. Well, the Waiters Restaurant, I think it's called, sorry, uh, which just does really simple pasta and risotto and uh, if you order a glass of wine, it comes in a kitchen glass, you know, like the old Vegemite glasses. <laughs> mm. yes. um, and they're open till wow. like, 3 in the morning. So they're a great place to go for a late-night snack. This is amazing. This is, like... Charlie's food tour. Oh, I could keep going. I, I, uh, it's, it's just crazy. I, I, I am so lucky to get to try so many restaurants because as the mother of young children, there was a time when I thought I would never eat out again, ever. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so it's been such a lovely treat to be able to go and try all these places. Hopefully some of them are able to make it through the current yeah. situation. Look, I've lost my local, my local Thai takeaway, which is the only one that didn't like coriander, and they've gone. I was like, I was like oh, no. now I have to eat coriander. Oh, no. <laughs> That's not fair. Okay, I, I think I could be wrong because I've copied this across from our Patreon, but I think that the next question is actually being asked by somebody who is a parent themselves as well. And we have sort of touched on it, but Mm. the question is uh, one of the ways to remove the stigma of sex work and indeed of sex positivity as a whole is to raise children to view the full spectrum of sexuality as healthy and sex work as a legitimate career. And yet we know that at the moment that is not exactly the prevailing view of society. So how do you balance the need to destigmatize sex work with the importance of protecting your children from avoidable social backlash? Look, I mentioned earlier that my mum was a sex worker uh, and so I was brought up in an environment where all things to do with sex were viewed as able to be spoken about openly and, you know, there wasn't a lot of um, ick factor except for the parents having sex thing, of course. <laughs> and, you know, gay, being gay was normal, being bisexual was normal, being uh, of a different gender um, or changing gender was just fine. None of those things were unusual in my life and so I've brought my children up the same way well before I became Charlie we had discussions in our house about sexuality and transgender stuff and all that sort of thing because it comes up it comes up in the news it comes up in family members making announcements or we do have one cousin who is transgender and my children had questions about that when they were little you know and and I just answered them honestly that's the best I can do and as I mentioned earlier, so there, there was a conversation that came up about a stripper and I was really careful to sort of make it clear that, you know, whatever she did with her body, she was making money and doing a good job and it was her choice. And we have we have conversations about consent all the time, about, you know, not touching your brother. <laughs> Keep your hands <laughs> off your brother. Even that sort of, that sort of level uh, for small children is really important, knowing that they get to control who touches them and when, um, not forcing hugs on people, all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, it runs the gamut. It's not just about stigma. It's about having a a healthy attitude towards sex and consent across the board and also having a really good handle on the fact that what the choices that other people make are none of your business. They're just not. Gosh, I wish you were my mother. (laughs) Unless you're cheering someone on, just keep your mouth shut. You don't have to agree. Like, it's not, it's not actually a prerequisite. Yeah. Bang on. For shit people say this week, it's a little bit tricky to come up with content because Charlie is just such a bloody lovely person and hopefully people are generally quite nice to her. They better bloody be or I'll get on to them. <laughs> but uh, but she, does, she says she's got a story for us, so let's hear it. So, well back when Charlie was just starting out, I think it was my very first tour in Melbourne. I would like to say a lovely gentleman showed up, but he was not lovely. (laughs) (laughs) A gentleman showed up with his own crystal glassware so that we could drink some champagne together because my glassware was bound to be inferior. And then he spent most of the hour and a half, I think it was, that he'd booked for, talking to me about Hitler and all of the wonderful things Hitler had done for the world including pointing out, you know, which races were not as good as others and all of that sort of stuff. And then we moved from Hitler to Trump and how wonderful Trump was and how he would bring Hitler's vision to fruition 
And wasn't that amazing? And I mean, I'm fairly left wing. I'm sure people have noticed this. (laughs) (laughs) And I had to find a way to get through that booking without like trying to kill him. Wow. <laughs> so we're not just talking somebody who says, "Look, Hitler had some redeeming qualities." Or no, 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 no. He, it was it was full in support. It was full. I've read all of wow. Mein Kampf, and I think he's yep. amazing. And I know all of his life story. And I have to tell you about every single thing Hitler has ever done or said. Um, and it was it was soul destroying. Um, it was so. A, how did you manage that? Were you like, uh, okay? <laughs> like, I pivoted to please, the Trump like, conversation and. Blew him out of the water. Was that any better? <laughs> that sounds, yeah, pretty bad as well. <laughs> Just to make sure the time, keep checking the clock. Like, are we nearly there? Oh, what I really, what I actually had to do, which was my only choice, was to jump on him and shut him up. But how gross is that? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was hard to do, but it's I did hard. it. Right, so, you know. So, yeah. like, yes, uh, uh, come here, give me a kiss. You can't talk when my tongue's in your mouth. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when people ask us about, you know, are your clients unattractive or whatever, and it's like, dude, it's, there's nothing physical that's going to put me off. But if you start telling me you love Hitler, that's going to like, I, I'm not. Doesn't make me horny. At That'll all. do it. <laughs> yeah, it'll do it. It is yeah. difficult if you are a fan of genocide to, to get excited yeah. about sleeping with you. Yes, um. like <laughs> definitely not your kink, hey? No, and look, I don't want it. I don't want people to think that I take those sort of issues lightly. I don't, which is why it upset me so much, and why I had to find yeah. a way through, and just I just had to get to the other side of this booking and do it in a way that kept me safe. Because sometimes when you call people on their beliefs, they can get quite irrational and and things can change very quickly um and also made the time go as fast as possible so <laughs> i uh, i worked really hard so that the time would just be gone yeah it fascinates <laughs> me how comfortable people are sharing opinions that are quite extreme or in- inflammatory to to sex workers i don't know if other people have this experience but i think that obviously we're very good at creating safe spaces and so people can feel comfortable which is wonderful but I, I have to wonder if there's this element of thinking that we that we don't maybe have our own views or uh, you know our our reactions to to those sorts of views aren't don't matter or something like that. I think that's it, um, Jenna. I, I, yeah, and it, it can be quite upsetting because I think what it is is that if someone's willing to reveal an opinion they know to be abhorrent, they don't really care what the other person thinks. Mm. So yeah, it's actually a problem in terms of my screening and security for those sort of things to happen because it means that that person's not holding me in particularly high regard and I would definitely never see anyone again after I'd had that experience. Um, not be, And that's not to say that if we have a political disagreement, I'm not going to see you. That's very different from you want to wipe oh, out yeah. a whole section of the world. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. There's, there's levels here. I see a okay. lot of people who are very right-wing and that's not a problem. I, I, I am actually able to not talk about politics, believe it or not. If they're telling me extreme things, and it does happen quite a lot, particularly in Melbourne because we've had all the lockdowns and we've got we've got this really big growth sure. of QAnon stuff happening here. Yep. And I'm sure, it's, look, it's happening in Sydney too and, and everywhere else, but it's, it is a reaction to the distress that people are going through. So I try to see through that to what the, where the suffering is coming from. And if I can't mm-hmm. see that element, then it's sort of I'm left with, well, you're just a crunt. Yeah. Well, I had a, an overnight booking, which uh, obviously we're different people. We often we have a lot of clients who are very different to us, and and the at the the first portion of it, the night portion, was absolutely fine. And then the next morning, we had a discussion where he revealed 
some stuff that I found to be incredibly racist. And then after we'd had that conversation, which was quite tense because I'm not good at biting my tongue, as anyone who's (laughs) listened knows. Um, And, you know, I was still, I was polite, but it was tense. Yeah. And then he was like, anyway, like one last go before we finish. And I felt sick. I I, I just, I think that that's something that a lot of people don't realise is that, yeah, as Holly said, it's not about whether we find someone attractive or if they're too too big or too small or too whatever. But that that was a real situa- situation where I felt like a whore. Yeah. I had these moments. I was like, I don't want to be having sex with this person now. Um, and I, I did it because it was coming to the end of the booking and I wanted it to be over. But it, it was not a nice feeling. And I think that's those nuances are perhaps lost by people who haven't been in the situations that we have like that. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that, Jenna. It's um, it's difficult. There's no physical thing that would make me feel repulsed or, or, or turned off a client. I, I see people of all physical abilities and intellectual abilities and everything. So that's not a problem for me. And as I said before, if you if you think differently to me on the political spectrum, that's also okay. I have a lot of respect for people who are, yeah. are, are proper, you know, small L liberals and that sort of stuff because there's a rationality to what they put forward and a, and, a, and a consistency to their beliefs. But if you're a wackadoodle, that makes life really hard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here with us today, Charlie. It's been uh, awesome to get to know a little bit more about you. Thanks for sharing your story. Bye. Thanks, Charlie. See you guys. Thanks again. See ya. Bye. It's time for us to give a big shout out to all of our patrons. We are so grateful for your support, both financial and just emotional and <laughs> It's just very nice. So uh, this week we have some new giving somebodies. They are Helsing, Natalia Valua, and my mate Annie. We have new generous somebodies, Colin, Jamie, and Indy. And our new very generous somebodies are Lola Hunt from Assembly 4, Justin, and Diane. Our even more generous somebodies are Timmy, Andrew, Adam Smith, Leo, Lachlan, Cass, Sub London, and Miss Billy. Our extremely generous somebodies are Aaron, Samuel, Andrew, Pete, and Theodore Betts, the first Esquire. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next week. Please look out for us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon. Our name everywhere is Somebody You Pod, as in podcast. Our Patreon starts at just $3 a month and you can get all of our episodes ad-free and a day early, plus bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes action, bloopers and more. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the voices of sex workers. And remember, somebody you love might just be a sex worker. COVID-19 has had a significant impact on the sex industry and snap lockdowns and travel restrictions mean that there are times when sex workers require emergency financial relief in order for them and their dependents to stay safe, housed and fed. Sex workers don't get sick or holiday pay and many have no savings to fall back on. The stigma and discrimination that we face means that some have no proof of earnings to access government support and of course migrant workers are often forgotten. Scarlet Alliance and their state and territory member organisations joined together to create an ongoing fund that is hosted on the website Chuffed, that's C-H-U-F-F-E-D. 
Donations are tax deductible. 100% of funds raised go directly to sex workers in need. And most weeks, the amount of people applying outweigh the amount of funds raised. And sadly, people have to be turned away. The link to this fund is in our show notes.